So in light of the fact that tonight is Halloween and the and and the fact and, the, and in light of today's gospel reading, what I want to speak with you today about is fear. Fear is something that we all deal with as human beings. It makes up a pretty big chunk of our human experience. We're afraid of all sorts of things uh, because we are vulnerable. We tend to look down on fear and to despise fear to, 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 uh, and to despise others who are afraid. But is this the Christian response to fear? Because as I say, Fear comes from a very logical source. We, as human beings, are vulnerable. There are lots of things for us to be afraid of, and we are afraid of them for very good reasons. Because they can hurt us, they can destroy us, they can destroy our livelihood. There's all sorts of things that threaten us. And the, today's story is about exactly that phenomenon on multiple levels. There, and there's something almost, on the other hand, almost like a maybe a positive obsession with fear. Perhaps we get in, in tonight's holiday. Uh, there, there's almost like, it's almost like there's something missing. Perhaps it's because we keep tamping down and trying to obscure this particular emotion, uh, emotional response. But it has, as I say, a very good source. And in fact, there is something that the Bible, when the Bible talks about fear, it also talks about it in a very positive sense. It talks about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the scriptures say, is the beginning of wisdom. And it's actually perfectly logical to be afraid of God. He can do anything to us. He's God. He made us. He sustains the universe. All he has to do is stop thinking about us and we cease to exist. And so that whenever anyone comes into the presence of spirits or of God himself, there is a certain sense of fear. What, does the, what do the angels always have to say to people when they appear to the people? Fear not. So again, today's story is about this phenomenon of fear. So Jesus and his disciples are sailing to the country of the Gadarenes. They're sailing across the, the, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, and they step out of the boat. And immediately, as soon as they get out, they're met by this really, really scary guy. This is a guy who has been demon-possessed for many, many years. And you can get a sense of just how scary this guy was by the way that the people treated him. They put him in chains. They chained this guy up just to restrain him. And even scarier, when they did that, he broke the chains. And he escaped. And he ran out into the tombs. 
where people, where there were all the dead people, right? All the dead people were buried. That's where he hung out. So this is the guy that Jesus and his disciples meet just as soon as they step out of the boat. And what does this guy say? This really, really scary guy. What is the first thing that he says to Jesus? What have I to do with you, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. He's scared of Jesus. Why? Well, he's demon-possessed. The demons recognize Jesus for who he is. Like Jesus, when he came, it was the first time that God came when, when Jesus became uh, a man and became one of us. It was the first time God could come into our presence and not have to continually say, oh, don't be afraid. Fear not. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> you can get up now. Uh, no, he, everybody else who saw Jesus just saw a normal human being. They weren't afraid of him. But the demons, when they saw Jesus, they saw God himself coming to send them away into the abyss for all eternity. And they were, rightly, totally scared. That's why this guy is saying, ah, go away, please don't torment me, right? Why? Well, Jesus commanded the unclean spirits to come out of this man. And that Jesus could do that. He could just say. And in, in fact, in another gospel, so I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The, the, so so they, they, the demons beg him to not send them away, not send them into the abyss. Uh, and, say, say, and there's like a whole herd of pigs on the side of the mountain. And the demons say, hey, there's, there's something else we could possess. Uh, uh, you know, a body. We don't we want to be without a body uh, uh, to control. Uh, maybe just send us into those pigs. Uh, in Luke's gospel, he says, "Permit us to to go. Permit us to go into the pigs." And Jesus permits them. But I, I love. I can't remember which other gospel it is. It's in all three of the synoptic gospels. <laughs> they, they they ask him this, and Jesus says one word: "Go." And they go. And it doesn't help them very much because as soon as they get into those pigs, the pigs are totally scared of the demons who are trying to possess them. And they run down into the water and are, a whole herd of pigs is drowned. So it's interesting, first of all, to see how Jesus accommodates, accommodates the fears of the demons. You think like, if anything, God, God himself would have no time for demonic fears. Like, oh, good, you're, you're afraid of me. Ha, great. No, he actually says, okay, well, you want to go into the pigs? You think that'll do you some good? Fine, go. He knows that it's not going to do them any good. And that's, I think, precisely why he gives them this accommodation. He's like, okay, well, you know, you can go and try that. It's not going to do you any good. But he does accommodate them. It's really interesting. So then the man is free of the demon. And instead of being all naked and cut up and whatever else, looking really, really horrible and wild, the people who have run away, first of all, because they're really scared because 
all the all the pigs just like this is this is another thing that people get scared of right things weird things that just happen so here here the swine herds are you know kind of minding the pigs and all of a sudden the pigs just kind of up and run down the hill and all are all drowned that's a weird scary phenomenon so they go running back into the town and they then they all get, tell the people about it of course because that's what we do it's like ah there's a scary story i gotta tell you it uh and and then they come running back and they find this scary guy sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And what's their response to this amazing healing, this amazing freedom that this guy has? He's been restored to his proper human condition. What's their response? They're totally scared. They're freaked out about this. And they ask Jesus to leave. Why? Well, if they were scared of this guy, because he had a legion of demons in him, and those demons they were afraid of because they were powerful, and they could do all sorts of things like break chains and hurt people, how much more powerful, and therefore how much more scary, is this man who has just told the demons, Casually, okay, yeah, go into the herd of pigs. They're totally scared of, the, of, of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? What's his response to this fear? They ask him to leave. He leaves. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't say, look, you really shouldn't be afraid of me. He doesn't, uh, but he does do one more thing, which is really interesting. The demon-possessed man naturally wants to come with Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, your job is to stay here and tell people about me. Because Jesus knows, I mean, he knows us as human beings because he's one of us and he made us, right? He totally knows about our fears. He knows that fear takes time. It takes time to overcome fear, to work through it. And so he gives them time. He gives them time to sort out their fears. And he also gives them a messenger, someone to tell them the truth about who Jesus really is, about how Jesus loves them. And so, and, and the next time he comes into this area, they receive him gladly. He gives us time. He accommodates our fears. So I think this parable, this, this, not parable, sorry, this, this story of what Jesus does here how he deals with fear is actually really important for us as we confront fears in a time of uncertainty we are surrounded by uncertainty there's all sorts of things we don't know about the things that are happening around us that are the things that could happen to us and we're in a certain state of fear that's okay this is the normal human response to things that we can't control. 
to things that to, to whether that be the environment, whether that be you know other people, uh, it's it's quite natural for us to be afraid. And therefore, it's also as we realize that this is this is natural and understandable, it's important for us to accommodate and understand the people around us who are afraid. Because Jesus, you notice all through this parable, Jesus doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't be afraid. I don't see him ever say that, actually, <laughs> in this whole thing. Right? And in fact, when he's in, in the point where it's mo the most easy for him to say, what? Why, why should you be afraid of me? Look what happened. The demons are gone and this man is healed. You should totally not be afraid of me. He doesn't even say that. He listens to and understands and respects their fears. And he gives them time. He gives them time to work through it. And he gives them truth. He allows them this, uh, he, he asks this man to stay behind and tell them the truth. This is how we work through our fears. We take the time to sort through them and we give others the time to sort through them. We respect this phenomenon. Now this same approach is actually deeply embedded in the church. Today we're celebrating uh, St. John Kuchurov. Apologies to any Russian speakers who would probably say, you're, you're pronouncing it wrong. Could, we could call him St. John of Chicago, although it's maybe not quite uh, appropriate, uh, given that you know, he, he didn't, he never saw Chicago as his hometown. Um, he saw Chicago as his mission field. He was a Russian priest, uh, son of a Russian priest, uh, who who came to North America uh, in, at the turn of the, the last century. Uh, and he came precisely because he wanted to minister to the people and he worked to establish uh, uh, and to build up the church in Chicago. Uh, they didn't have a very good building and he managed to get them another building by fundraising from Russia. So maybe we should ask him for his prayers. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and, and he, he, he labored, he spent all of his early, early priestly ministry in a situation, well, not totally unlike ours. He was a mission priest. Uh, and he, as you say, he, he built up the church in Chicago and then uh, served under St. Tikhon in, uh, in North America to, to just serve the church and, and, and build it up. Eventually, however, he really, really wanted to go home. Russia was his homeland and he wanted to go back. And so he, he went back to, uh, uh, to Russia, uh, taught there for many years, uh, and then and, and eventually finally made his way back into uh, uh, the, the, being uh, in the ministry of a parish priest. He was one of three uh, priests in a town, uh, I think, um, near St. Petersburg. Um, forget the name, and I probably would mispronounce it if I, if I did remember it. Uh, um, but he, he was one of three priests there. Uh, and it ha he happened to be a priest there in a pretty uncertain time, a time filled with fear and uncertainty. Uh, uh, it was basically, it was 1917 and 
We all know what happened in 1917 in and around St. Petersburg, which was at that point time, the capital of Russia. And so, uh, and, and things came to a head when there was a, um, a crisis. It was just before the revolution, uh, the October crisis. Uh, and uh, the, the, the events of that moment were centered in and around his, ta his town. There were um, Cossacks loyal to the Tsar uh, who, were, who were in the city, uh, and, but the, um, the city was being shelled by Bolshevik forces. And, uh, and so here he is in the city where he's ministering as one of three Paris priests uh, to these people who are being shelled by artillery fire. This is a scary time. And what does he do? What do Fig and, and the other two priests get together and they decide they're going to have a procession? Because uh, that's what Orthodox Christians do. We, when times of crisis, what do we do? We get together. Uh, we, we, should, we should do this. We don't really do this here. But uh, uh, historically speaking, going all the way back to the, the early church, the Byzantine Empire, um, and what, what we did was, when in times of crisis, we went and we had a procession, uh, and then uh, we said the litany of fervent supplication, which is the litany that we're going to do right after the homily. That's, that's actually where it comes from, that, that, that litany where we have the three Lord of Mercies actually comes from this. Uh, uh, it's an occasional lit litany, litany in a sense that it's, a, it's occasional prayer for a specific occasion. And the occasion in this point was the town's being shelled. We, we want peace. We want to be safe. And so he and the uh, other two priests with him um, uh, led the people in the town uh, in this procession. And, and they all prayed the litany of fervent supplication. And, uh, and even as they were doing this procession, the Tsarist forces, the Cossacks, were withdrawing from the town. People were saying, ah, shouldn't we stop this already? Maybe, we, maybe this is not a good time to be doing this. No, no, we're going to continue. We're going to do this. And so they continued, and, they, and they, they finished the procession. They finished the service. And it seemed like that was it. Of course, then the Bolshevik forces come into the town, and they get a completely different story about what this procession was all about. Of course, they're atheists. They don't really understand this stuff. Uh, or to some extent, perhaps, you could, given that they were formerly orthodox atheists, you could say they really should have understood this, but maybe they didn't want to understand. At any rate, they misrepresented this procession as, a, uh, as, as something that was uh, um, praying for the victory of the Tsarist forces. The people who were there, who were actually at the procession, could testify all they liked to say, no, no, we were just praying for peace. We want peace. We were afraid. Uh, and so we prayed for peace. But they were having none of it. And so they grabbed uh, Father John. They took him. And he was trying to explain to them, look, this was just a peaceful procession. We're praying for peace, but they were having none of it. They beat him, and finally somebody took out a rifle and shot him, and then a whole bunch of other people shot him. 
Mirad. This, he was actually one of the very first priestly martyrs in Russia. There were many, many, many more to come. But I think it's worth pointing out in the context of what we're discussing here, in the context of a time of crisis, a time of fear, what does he do? He and his fellow priests understand that fear. They accommodate that fear. They direct that fear in an appropriate way. They say, hey, let's all get together and pray. We'll ask God for help. And then when it's misunderstood, he's there to speak the truth in love. And he lays down his life for his flock. <laughs> we live in a time of fear. It is true. But God is greater than anything that we fear. And even better, God is good. He loves us. And as we are the called according to his purpose, he is working in every circumstance and everything that we encounter for our good, for our salvation. And so as we work through and struggle through our fears, our job is actually simple. Pray. Work to understand one another. Speak the truth in love. And ultimately, do not be afraid, for God is with us. To Him be the glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages.